We are delighted to welcome Luca Delana to this week's podcast. An automotive engineer by training, Luca quit his corporate job to become an independent researcher and author. He has dedicated his new career to researching the topic of emerging behaviour and communicating its findings and their implications. Luca also consults corporations and individuals on behavioural change and anti-fragile operations. Once a year, he teaches a risk management module at Genoa University. In this episode, we discuss his new book, The Control Heuristic, the future of education and some of Nassim Taleb's most famous concepts, anti-fragility, via negativa and skin in the game. Luca writes regularly on Twitter at Delana Luca and you can visit his professional website and blog at luca-delana.com. We hope you enjoy it. Get started. So, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to say, first of all, how much I uh, enjoyed your new, new book, um, The Control Heuristic. Thank you. And um, there was sort of one quote, in, I mean, there were many quotes that I loved in it, but there was one that I wanted to pick pick out to to sort of uh, start the conversation which was you, you wrote that either you desire the actions that would bring change or you won't change desiring the outcomes of change doesn't count um and i just wanted you to to sort of explain a bit about that and and what you talk about e eeo and what it what it means eeo if i if i um if i get it right that's expected emotional outcome and, yeah, and, exactly. what, and what is the thinking behind that? And as in, why do we do some things um, and, and not others? What is, what is EEO and, and how does it work? Yes, so, so the idea is that uh, our brain uh, is not, does not work as a single entity, but rather it's multiple entities that are talking to each other. And it's a bit like, uh, um, a game of broken phone where people are talking in the ear of each other and then the message sometimes uh, gets broken down. And so one of the uh, points that I make is that conversely to other models of the human brain in which it's divided, for example, into left hemisphere and right hemisphere or ego, superego, indeed, uh, in which in those frameworks, the different part of the brain, they're working against each other. Each one has some objective and tries to push its objective. Instead, it's not, in my framework, they're all working together. And that makes sense because uh, we evolved and all of our body works together at the same uh, purpose. So why would the brain be different? The problem is that they, somehow, they sometimes miscommunicate. And this is why sometimes we are incoherent with our actions. And so, for example, I point about two, two areas of our brain, the cortex and the basal ganglia. And the cortex is the part that thinks. Right now in my conversation, I'm using the cortex, uh, mostly to think about which words to pronounce. And then you have the basal ganglia instead, which doesn't think, so we are not aware of it. And it's mostly like a valve that decides whether we act or not on uh, our decisions. So it might happen that my cortex decides that there is an action which would be good for me, such as uh, uh, go to the gym or uh, writing an application to this uh, school or whatnot. 
And then the basal ganglia doesn't have access to thoughts. So it doesn't know why the cortex proposed an action, but it can only decide based on our past emotional experiences, whether the action would be good or not for us. So if, we, if our cortex, for example, knows that uh, we are out of shape and we need to exercise, it will say, let's go to the gym. Our basal ganglia does not know that we need to exercise. It only remembers how it felt the last time that we exercised. And if our experience is like, it was very tiring, or it was wet, it was cold or whatnot, then it will block the action and we will not go to the gym. So this is what I mean with like, you do not only need to want change, but you need also to desire the actions that bring change. Because the first part, wanting change is done by the cortex. The cortex know that we have a problem and the cortex know what would be the good solution for us. But then we also need to desire the action because the basal ganglia cannot think very far. It only can think about how it will feel going to the gym it, in the moment. It cannot think about how it will feel one month later when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And so, one of the big points that I make in the book is that whenever we want change, with, but we do not act on change, it means that we want an outcome, but we do not want, we do not desire the actions that bring us this outcome. Mm -hmm. And that's the root problem. And as with everything in life, if you work on anything else that the root problem, you will not get any progress towards it. Mm -hmm. And so if the problem is the emotional associations that you have with the actions that would bring change, that's what you need to work on on having better emotional associations. Great. Yeah, no, I, I found that fascinating. And I guess it explains why, for example, and I, you know, you mentioned that again in the book, why something like giving up smoking is, is, is very difficult, you know, that you, you know, in this part of your brain, the, the, the cortex, that it's a, it's something bad for you, but it's very difficult to take the actions in order to, to give it up, especially when the kind of negative results you don't see until much further down the line. Um, so it kind of leads to this, this dissonance. Um, so yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. And then the other, I mean, obviously the book is mostly around kind of behavioral science, irrational behavior and, and why we're resistant to change and, and gives lots of tips um, on how to kind of, uh, I guess, break bad habits and encourage good habits. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly encourage anyone to read it. it was It was really, really excellent. Um, and there's many other topics that you also talk about. Um, and and uh, selfishly for, for us, you know, we're, we're sort of interested in the, the topic of, of education and the future of education, most importantly. And again, in your, your book, uh, there was a, a line that I loved, which was, you wrote, most graduates once hired have two problems, you know, knowing too much of what doesn't matter and, and knowing too little of what does. And I just thought that was such a nice, a nice line. And, you know, something I experienced personally, you know, when, when you go from university into the world of work that, you know, obviously what you've learned at university is mostly theoretical. It's often outdated. It's often taught to you by uh, somebody who may not even worked in that field in at all, or in even in recent in memory. And um, I guess, yeah, from, from your perspective, from all of the research you've done and thinking that you've done, 
you know, what else do you think is kind of wrong or what are the, the key things you identify as being wrong with the kind of current system and, and how would you kind of best go about fixing it if, if, if you were in charge? Yeah, so I think that we need to be like, like the first thing is to be very clear about what uh, education is for. And we need to differentiate university from uh, uh, everything that comes before. Because everything that comes before, it's mostly about like uh, nursery, like keeping, uh, taking care of children while the parents are, are at work. And it does an excellent job at that. And then the part about education, about teaching, it does a good job at the lower level. So it keeps everyone, it teaches like how to read and everything. But the ceiling is extremely low. And for example, yesterday on Twitter, I was, I was remarking that uh, everything that school teaches us mm -hmm. overlaps exactly with the things that artificial intelligence is very good at doing today. So Good memorizing, point. repeating, uh, putting sources together rather than coming up with original thoughts and so on. Uh, so there will be a lot of things to change if we think that the purpose of school is to teach things. But if the purpose of school is to actually uh, socialize kids and keeping them safe and so on, I think that it's doing uh, quite a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, one change that I would make is to make teachers fireable like every other uh, employee. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, like, I think that it's not much, um, not much to change. At least I'm talking about Europe, like I have experience with Europe. Mm -hmm. Conversely, university. Uh, I think that there is a lot of wrong with university. And one thing you might notice is that all degrees no matter the complexity, they all have the same duration. <laughs> in the US, all degrees, they last four years. In Europe, it's three years the bachelor's plus three years the master's. And that doesn't matter if you're studying uh, nuclear science or, mm. or journalism. And I'm not saying journalism because it's not important, but I'm just saying that journalism is a lot about practice. Mm -hmm. So theoretical, the part that you do in front of, uh, of a blackboard should be much shorter in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the fact that all degrees have the same duration irrespective of complexity, it's an indication that university has been built around the needs of teachers and academics and the admin staff rather than students. Very true. So uh, in my ideal lookout, what he will do is that he would uh, remove the degrees, mm -hmm and say that every school can offer the degrees without uh, an obligation of curriculum and, um, and length. So that what would happen is that then companies, the job market, would interview on skills rather than on the piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And then that would be the incentive to have uh, universities that are teaching uh, actual skills. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that no university is teaching actual skills. For example, medicine tends to be uh, quite good, but there are other universities that are teaching uh, no, practic no real practical skill. Mm -hmm. I realized though that this is very difficult to do. So working inside the university, uh, what I will do instead would be to follow a model uh, as the German one. 
So in Germany, you have some universities in which you do one month at school and one month on the job. And for three years, you're working month in, month out at the same company. And then if you graduate, that company has uh, almost an obligation to offer you a contract. And while you are at university, you are paid. So you're not paying the university, it's actually the company that pays for your studies and pays you a stipend, which of course is not like full salary, but no. it's still something. And I think that's perfect to align incentives and to actually ensure that uh, practical skills are taught. Mm. No, I think that's a, an excellent point. And it's been very interesting watching a lot of conversations, um, you know, on, on platforms like Twitter about, you know, the current state of universities in terms of, you know, continuing to charge or talking about charging uh, students the same rate and, and yet doing all of the classes virtually. And obviously a lot of people are saying, well, hang on a second, that's, that's not on. And, you know, a lot of, of talk about, you know, a lot of these institutions being a, a financial scam. Um, and do you, do you think that, you know, the pandemic will accelerate perhaps a lot of those, you know, less well-known or less well-established institutions going bust as in, you know, do you think a lot of the middle lower tier universities will, will will no longer exist and, and perhaps only the ones with the big brand names will will continue or or not i think partially uh less than thought because the problem is that a lot of companies are still hiring on degrees and a lot of families are still looking for the degrees for their kids and i think that's the main force mm -hmm. i'll give you an example um every year I offer free courses after school to whatever student in my city wants to attend uh, on things as uh, practical skills such as how to interview, how mm -hmm. to write your curriculum, how to negotiate your salary, and these kind of things. Yep. And no one came. Like no. the only people that came are people that are friends of friends, like little brothers of my friends and so on. Right. And or people that know me by some chance, they read my book or they heard my mm -hmm. name or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, the topic, the topic itself doesn't interest. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's just my, the, 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 my personal experience in my town. But uh, the problem is that students, I think that a lot of you, mm, so education will change also when students will uh, change their behavior, students and their families and what they value and so on. And so I think that, um, for example, the IT uh, sector mm -hmm. is doing much more than the pandemic will do, in my opinion, because IT is this field in which uh, famously they hire people without a degree. Mm -hmm. uh, they also hire people with a degree, but if you have the skills and you prove it, and then there are also schools like Lambda School mm -hmm. and Similars that offer this income share agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, they're free to attend. And that's not much about the incentive, mm -hmm. but about the fact that Lambda School now can say like, look, I teach in six months a course that has the, that has, uh, the same, um, that offers the same or better uh, job opportunities than a mm -hmm. full university course. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the one thing that will actually uh, change university. Yeah, no, I agree that it's great what they're doing. It's very inspiring, the Lambda School. Um, 
and then another thing that comes up in 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 your books a lot and um i know a lot of people a lot of our listeners are, are big fans of also is is nasim nicholas taleb and and some of the concepts that he he talks about and um i think it would be great just for the benefit of our listeners to to talk about a few of those and 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 maybe help us understand in in uh plain english what what they mean because i think sometimes it's it's not entirely clear for everybody and i guess the first one that um i'm not sure if you mentioned it in in this book but i know you have talked about it before is is this idea of via negativa um or, or the idea of kind of removing things as opposed to to adding them to your life and um i was wondering if you could just explain a little bit uh, about what that actually that means in 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 that concept yeah, so the idea is that uh, in modern life, uh, most of the problems you have comes from something that has been added rather than something which is missing. For example, I might have not enough time, but the reason is probably not that I'm missing time, but it's that I added activities that are eating into my time, uh, such as uh, checking my, new, my phone mindlessly or these kind of things. Uh, same thing about uh, uh, health. Uh, if I'm unhealthy, it's likely because I'm eating too much or because I'm adding too many office hours sitting uh, in front of my desk rather than because I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. So once you reach some kind of minimum level of comfort, like the level that you can achieve in uh, first world countries let's say and so on mm -hmm. then most of the problems they become uh, they tend to be of there is something that is causing a problem and you need to remove it mm -hmm. rather than looking for something to add mm -hmm. so that yeah that's the spirit of via negativa yeah no that's great i think um it's again it's one of those concepts that's once you understand it you can suddenly see how there's so many dimensions of your life where you, you could apply it. Um, you know, instead of trying to always do more, add more, you should actually be trying to take things away. Um, and I think, you know, probably one of his most popular known concepts is the, the idea of, of skin in the game. And, and this idea that you should, you know, probably only take advice from people where they're not incentivized to, to give you that advice. Um, but perhaps you can explain much, much better than I can what, what that actual concept means. Yeah, so skin in the game is not much uh, about aligning incentives, but making sure that people that act badly are removed uh, from the pool of people who can uh, give advice or do things. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example, driving. Uh, everyone is incentivized uh, not to drive too fast, because if you drive too fast, then you have to pay fines. Mm -hmm. And yet we have a lot of people that keep driving too fast and keep paying fines and it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. So here, drivers in this context, they do not have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. However, you have very little incidents on the road. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, little incidents compared to how many you would have thinking about driving. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that people that drive very badly, they end up in an incident. Mm -hmm. And people that drive extremely badly, they actually die on the wheel, or mm -hmm. they get the, the, pay the, the driving license uh, removed, or things like this. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what's keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It's not too much the financial incentives, but about the fact that people who behave extremely badly, uh, they're removed uh, from the pool of people who can act. Mm -hmm. no, so makes... skin in the game is about this filtering. Mm -hmm. And uh, one other concept that uh, I talk about in the, in the book is the one of mimetic societies. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that in a society, like a lot of, there are very few people who know what they're doing and why, they, why they are doing it. Mm -hmm. And most people, they're actually just uh, imitating. Yep. They're doing a copy paste of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not stupid. This is incredibly smart. Because for example, if you, if you will, were to time travel and go back to a primitive tribe, into mm -hmm. a primitive tribe, and you do not know how to survive, mm -hmm. your best chances of survival is just to do what everyone else around you is doing. Mm -hmm. But this works because in a primitive tribe, the people that have a bad behavior, so the people that do things which are unsafe, they die. Yep. So this means that only people which are behaving safely remain in the pool of people from which you can copy behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's in this context, imitation is very powerful uh, adaptation strategy. Conversely, in modern life, people who make mistakes, they do not exit the pool of people who can be copied. Mm -hmm. So you have people uh, like uh, some entrepreneurs which commit fraud mm -hmm. and uh, they, they don't go to jail, and mm -hmm. so they are still there available for people to copy and to imitate. Mm -hmm. And this is terrible because it means that we are imitating bad behaviors bad or behaviors behavior. which are bad for society. And that's why it's so important to represent skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Because skin in the game is what ensures that only behaviors which are good for society keeps being available for people to imitate. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And then... I think sort of the, another one of his most well-known uh, concepts, and I think you talk about a bit in, in the book, or certainly do talk about it elsewhere, is um, this idea of uh, anti-fragile or anti-fragility. And I think you've also maybe moved the concept on a little bit with your, your own idea. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about both. Yes, so anti-fragility is the idea that uh, there are things which can benefit from harm. Uh, for example, our muscles are anti-fragile because when we go to the gym and we harm some of the muscle fibers by lifting weights, what happens the day after is that our muscle grows stronger. Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is that everything which is living is anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. So you are anti-fragile. Uh, your country is anti-fragile because it's made of living things. Mm -hmm. uh, your company is anti-fragile because it's made of living things. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a, an associated concept, which is the one of brittleness. And brittleness is how much harm you can sustain at once uh, before breaking. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for example, you have uh, my grandmother. She's un just anti as anti-fragile as me because we both benefit from harm. But the problem is that my, aunt, my grandmother is also very brittle. Mm -hmm. And so if she goes to the gym and tries to lift five kilos, probably she might injure herself. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I go to the gym and I lift five kilos, I will grow my muscles. Mm -hmm. So the, the, we all say that like the key, are, the key to like survival is to be anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the thing is that most of us are anti-fragile. There is another concept which is Britannus, and what we need to do is that we need to strive uh, to expose ourselves to harm that doesn't cause irreparable damage so that we get stronger and our brittleness threshold gets higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And why is it important? Because the less brittle we are, the more we will expose ourselves to the things that trigger our anti-fragility. Mm -hmm. So what you notice, what you will notice is that uh, there is some correlation, not only between like, the more you go to the gym, the stronger you are, mm -hmm. but also that the stronger you are, the more likely you are to go to the gym or to engage into physical activities. Right. Why? Because someone who is like um, extremely frail, uh, he will not engage in physical activities because he will be scared of being injured or they mm -hmm. are extremely, um, extremely tiring for him. Mm -hmm. So there is this dynamic aspect about the anti-fragility mm -hmm. uh, that how much you harm you get also influences how resistant you get and that in turn influences how much risk you get and so you create virtuous circles yeah that's really interesting i mean i notice it um quite often you know when people consciously make the decision to grow in their lives you know to improve in some way to get in better shape quite often it then has knock-on effects into other aspects of their life you know they might try to learn more or get better at managing their finances um so yeah it's really interesting the way you've you've described that um and uh yeah i guess there's so many more topics we could discuss but i'm i'm conscious of your time um so i just wanted to say you know thank you so much uh luca for, for kind of joining us today and just before we finish i have liked to ask um our guests you know if there's one book that they they recommend and um, any any topic is fair game. Um, I, I, obviously, all of your books are are brilliant. But is there a book that you've read? Um, doesn't have to be recent. It could be from the past that has really inspired you that you think might be interesting for for our listeners. Oh yes, it's definitely uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb anti fragile. Uh, yeah. And what I really suggest is that actually uh, you read it twice because it's the concepts are so deep he explains them very simply mm -hmm. but they are so deep that no matter how smart you are and no matter how simply he explains them with one read you will not be able to get all the applications and all the intricacies Simply because like with, as a, with everything in life, you need practices. It's about like learning uh, a new language. Uh, you need to know some words to be able to catch other words in a sentence. Mm -hmm. And so the first time you read Antifragile, it would be already probably one of the most important books you will ever read. Mm -hmm. And then you read it a second time and you, because you already know some of the concepts, when you read it again, the pages will assume new meaning and it will just be like amazing in all its applications. Every single page you can, you can think about some aspect of your life it applies to. Yeah, so that's definitely the one book I would recommend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I've, I read it for the first time not that long ago. So now uh, I must read it again. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It was one of those uh, 
someone said to me, there's this term quake books, you know, books that you read that have a big influence on you or, or sort of shaken up, uh, shaken your thinking. And um, yeah. that's definitely one of them. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Luca, for, for being with us today and, and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you for inviting me. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews with some of the world's greatest minds. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at 42 Courses or check out our website 42courses.com for information on all the courses we offer. Have a great week.